Welcome to the Lift Church podcast. We pray that this message encourages you and inspires you to live up to your God-given potential. I know, but I do have a, a, a message for us this morning for Father's Day. And uh, we could probably cut out the music um, because it just makes it a little bit weird. It's like you're waiting for like punchlines or something. So four dads, four dads. I just love how Ernie can say four dads and half of you are cracking up already. <laughs> it's got something about him. Uh, well, Beck and I were in a cafe a couple of weeks ago. And this is not part of a joke. It sounds like a joke, doesn't it? <laughs> Totally sounds like a joke. Oh my gosh. Beck and I, uh, we went to a local cafe a couple of weeks ago and uh, uh, the Town of Vic Park's newsletter caught my attention. This is what it looks like. It's life in the park. And it caught my attention because it said that one of the articles in there was called The Fathering Project. And I was like, what is that all about? So I picked one up and finally got on to reading it. And it's amazing because has any of you actually heard of The Fathering Project before? Yeah, a few of you have. I love it because it actually talks about how dads are so important in uh, the development of a child's life. And they, they've, uh, it's a nationwide initiative, the Fathering Project, where they get males, doesn't have to necessarily be dads, but males uh, to be a part of a school so they can learn how to be a good uh, father or maybe a good father figure. Uh, so maybe pre- preparing themselves for the future or, or, or whatever it is. And uh, the town of Vic Park, has the first school that has adopted that in the Perth metropolitan area, and that is East Vic Park Primary School. And they already have 40, 40 um, males signed up to be part of the fathering project, which is, I think, simply amazing that, that men are actually going, we need this, this is something that's really cool, this is something that is necessary, and they've signed up to be a part of it. But what I want to read is um, a portion that really to me, spoke to me uh, really deeply. Uh, And knowing that this is not a Christian production, this is a town's newsletter, basically, and this is what it said. The impact of a good dad will benefit the well-being of his kids today and tomorrow. More and more research is being conducted on the benefits of an effective father or father figure in a household. Results have shown that an absent father or father figure in a household leads to an increase in child self-harm, substance abuse, and suicide amongst school-age children. Self-harm, substance abuse, and suicide, all issues that often arise because of identity crises in the life of a child. And I think it's phenomenal that there are people that, that are going, let's, let's look into this, especially, I don't know if you know the climate um, of, of our current culture and, and all the this debate that's going on. It always seems like people are saying, <laughs> sorry, I just wanted more space to walk. Um, people are saying dads don't matter, but the research is backing up that dads are so, so important. And I, I love that I saw this. This, was, this came out for the, for the July period. So this came out before a lot of the current debate that is raging in the, in the media and, and, and in the political arena. Uh, we, we have this, this fathering project that almost is not in the spotlight at all. It doesn't, it's almost flying under the radar, but I love that people are taking note of it. 
And I think that is so cool that they recognize the role that dads play in the life of, of a developing child. And that's not to say that, that mums are not important. I think mums are equally important. And we celebrate mums on Mother's Day. And we, uh, uh, but today the focus is on dads. The focus, I, I think, is something that we need to talk about as a church. We need to discuss and we need to have debate. We need to, have dis- uh, we need to stir each other up because good dads make a good future as shown by what is taking place, uh, the research that has taken place. And I absolutely love that. And this morning, I do want to take a moment as well to acknowledge that some of you might not be in a great position in terms of what is, uh, uh, in terms of the parenting that you've experienced or maybe not experienced. And I understand that this might be a difficult time for you. This might not be the most encouraging and uplifting day. I know, I know personally, I invited a friend once to church on Father's Day and she literally just cried through the whole uh, service because... And, and later on, I found out that it's because she never really knew her dad. And I was, I was like, oh, man, maybe I, I invited her because I was part of a, a performance in the church. I was in a drum line. I was like, I'm in a drum line. Do you want to come to church? And she said yes. And I was like, man, I should have been more sensitive to, to where she was at. But I understand that church can be a, a confronting place, especially when we're talking about dads and celebrating dads. Uh, but here's a, here's a thought for you. Uh, I believe that... The church can be a a part of the solution to what has taken place in your life because as much as a dad being absent or maybe not being a good father figure uh, uh, in your life, I believe that that is reversible. And I've got a story um, that I heard from a, a counselor. Uh, I, I caught up with the counselor a few months ago and, um, and we're just talking and, and, and he brought up this, to me, it is almost like a... a a story that you could make into a movie or some description, but he, he spoke about how there was once he had a, a client who was a 20-year-old uh, woman, and at the same time, they were also attending the same church. I, I believe that's, that's kind of how I, I thought the story went, and, and uh, once she started seeing him as a counselor, she started to develop a, an attachment to him, and so when they were at church, she would always make sure she was sitting next to him, following him wherever he went. When they went for lunch, she would uh, uh, make sure that she was seated next to him and, and all that kind of stuff. But things took a turn for the creepier. It got a little bit creepy because uh, he and his family, so he was married with kids, uh, him and his family went away for a holiday for uh, a number of weeks and they found out that one of those nights she actually broke into their house and went to sleep in their bed. Uh, so it was a little bit intense um, with that. And so people started to say, hey, she's got some kind of sexual perversion. It's all a bit crazy. But because he had been obviously catching up with her uh, and stuff, he, he, he thought that there might be something else that's going on. And, and um, so he rela- related another incident that took place. And, and they were having a session and it wasn't going very well by his own admission. He said we were getting nowhere. She was kind of hysterical through the whole thing. And uh, 45, 50 minutes uh, came up, and so he uh, goes to the door, opens it up, and says, all right, well, um, that's all the time that we have for today. She screams, runs under his desk. Remember, this is a 20-year-old woman. Hides under the desk so that it will be really difficult for anyone to physically remove her from the room. And he, he, he spoke about how she didn't have a sexual perversion she was simply a six-year-old caught up in a 20-year-old's body. And 
over the course of the next four years, he continued to uh, counsel her, continued to allow her to be a part of uh, his family's life with boundaries. He spoke to his wife about what kind of boundaries they were going to place around it. They did all that kind of stuff. And after four years, after four years, none of those issues ever arose again. And what he said to me really struck me because he said he realized that she simply did not have a save father figure as she was growing up. And that stunted her development and her growth so much so that the moment she saw a saved man, she immediately attached herself to him. And what he discovered is that simply by being that safe place, providing healthy boundaries and allowing her to experience what it's like to be part of family, it took four years, which is pretty long, but in the big scope of things, he literally saved a life. Because now she's married with her own kids. She became a missionary. In fact, my uh, counselor friend was saying that he, he, in, uh, he uh, often uh, refers people because she, she lives in a different place. He often refers people who ask him, oh, do you know anyone in this area that I could go see and talk to? He refers people to her. The four years of being a father figure in her life completely changed her around. And then he spoke to me, and this is one of our value verses, in the sense that at Lyft, we really take this verse literally, and we want to run with it as far as we can. But in Psalm 68, verse 6, it says this, that God places the lonely in families. God places the lonely in families. And I believe that if you're here this morning and you recognize that you've never had a dad who represented a dad well to you, never provided a safe home for you, or, or for that matter, uh, uh, either parent or maybe no parent ever did that to you. My hope is that we are a church that is available to be that safe place. My prayer is that we are a church that takes this verse literally, that God is placing the lonely in families, that we get to be a difference maker in someone else's life. And I asked him, was it not difficult? He said, oh, I hated her to start. Not that he did this for four years, but at the start he said she was clingy, she was annoying, she was up in my face all the time. It's like I didn't want her around, but I realized that there was a deeper call, that there was a beauty beneath all of those symptoms. And he could see it and he could call it out. And of course, be safe, place boundaries. But recognize that there are so many people. Do you know that the divorce rates in Australia is past the 50% mark now? Which means that every second person that walks into this building, chances are they either didn't have a dad or a mum. This is an epidemic. This is a situation that we need to face. This is the reality of the world that we live in. And if we don't provide that safe place for people, if we don't adopt people into our family, show them what safe people are, show them the development that they can achieve, I'm wondering how many people are never going to experience the life that God has for them. And I'm wondering that some of you might need to uh, uh, stir up something inside of you to go, maybe it's time for me to look beyond just myself. Maybe it's time for me to be a safe 
person, for others who are going through difficult times. Maybe you yourself, you've gone through those difficult seasons and you've gone through that time of, of searching and needing that wholeness, or maybe you're on a journey. That doesn't mean that you are uh, pushed away and unable to provide that for someone else. Make sure that you put in safe boundaries and all of that. But what would happen if the church actually lived out this verse? What would our world look like if it knows that it needs a safe place and the first place it can think of is the church, where they know that they're going to be accepted and they know that they're going to be loved? This is something that stirs in my heart. I'm not a dad in, 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 in the physical yet, but I take parenting very seriously. I've been doing youth ministry and being a, a pastor of this church. I feel like a dad. I don't get all the dad jokes and I don't get how everything works, but I, I think that this is something that God has given each and every single one of us to do. So this is a bit of a challenge. Uh, at the start of this message, we are going to be going on and talk a little bit about parenting in a moment, but I would really love us to be that, be that kind of a family. That when we say any person can walk in and find family, I, I really hope that we give it a shot. Now, I know that it doesn't always work out. It's often the other person's choice of how deep they want to be part of family. Totally understand that. But as much as it is, it is part of our decision, let's decide to be family. Let's decide to be a place that God can go, you know what, I'm going to place some lonely people in there. And it might take four years. It might take 20 years. I don't know how long it takes, but we're going to see lives transform if we continue to show that kind of love, that kind of acceptance that a safe family can provide. Yeah? Anyone up for that challenge? Think about it. Don't just say yes. This is, a, is not something to, to just say and not, and not think about. But all right, now that we put that out, that, okay, so, so why, why, why did I go into that story? It's because I believe that if you haven't experienced that, this is a place where you can find family. I, I love that we've had many international students or, or people that don't have family here. They come in and they start calling different people uh, here their surrogate parents and say, this is mom. In fact, I love that my parents are here and they often call my parents mom and dad. And I'm like, you do not get any pastor's privileges uh, by calling my parents mom and dad. But anyway, I love it because I love that you find family here. If you haven't found family yet, why don't you try? Why don't you try opening your heart? Talk to someone different. Talk to someone that you've never spoken to. Break out of your usual circles. You might find family. You might find that you've, you've hit a safe place that you can develop and continue to grow. But now that we've got that part down, I want to talk about the role of a dad a little bit more. And I want to do this through the story of Jacob, Leah, and Rachel. It's found in Genesis 29 to 30. Uh, we don't have time to read through the whole story, so I'm going to give you uh, the short version. Basically, Jacob was running away because he had stolen something from his older twin brother. He thought that his older twin brother was going to kill him, so he runs and he finds himself in uh, a guy's home. His name is Laban, and Laban has got two daughters, Leah and Rachel. So uh, Jacob stays there, and after a little bit of time, he falls in love with Rachel. This is what the Bible says about the two uh, sisters. Genesis 29:17. it says, Leah had weak eyes, but Rachel had a lovely figure and was beautiful. The fact that the Bible chooses to describe the whole of Rachel, but only choose the eyes of Leah, tells us that 
Leah doesn't have much to be spoken about. Her best asset was her weak eyes. I used to think that she just had really thick glasses until someone said, no, weak eyes in those days probably meant that she was cross-eyed. Her best feature was that she was cross-eyed. This is the Bible's version of being nice. I'm like, oh my gosh, she had weak eyes. Oh, so she was a bit blind. It's okay. It's like, no, no, no. She was cross-eyed, and that was the best feature she had. Okay, so, so Jacob falls, falls in love with Rachel, loves Rachel, and so he goes to Laban and says, Laban, I love Rachel. I want to marry her. Name your price because they used to have to pay a bride price uh, to be married back in those days. And Laban says, work for me for seven years, and you can have Rachel. And so Jacob works for seven years, seven full years for Laban, and then he gets to marry Rachel. So the wedding night comes, they have this big celebration, and um, in my opinion, you can read this for yourself, but in my opinion, Laban gets Jacob so drunk that on the wedding night, so they've gone through the ceremony, I don't exactly know how the whole culture works, but they go through this whole ceremony at night, before they consummate the marriage, Laban swaps Leah with Rachel. Talk about desperate housewives or Gossip Girl or any of those TV shows you can think of. It has got nothing on the story. Uh, 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 Laban switches sisters. Jacob doesn't realize. He wakes up the next day and goes, oh my gosh, weak eyes is in my bed. And uh, so he goes to Laban and he goes, what have you done? What have you done? And so they consummated their marriage, even though it wasn't meant to be a marriage. But now Rachel, uh, sorry, Leah is Jacob's wife. And, and Laban simply just says, it is not in our culture for the younger daughter to get married before the older daughter. Uh, so why don't you wait for me for another seven years and then you get Rachel? And so Jacob agrees to it, and off they go into this merry world of weirdness. Let's put aside some of the whole family issues and all that kind of stuff. I want to talk about Leah and Rachel and how they develop. See, I think that Leah grew up with a real problem. Put it this way. For a woman in those times, I'm not saying that that's what it's supposed to be today, but in those times... Uh, being married was kind of what women needed to do. Think pride and prejudice type issues. They needed to get married. And her dad basically tells her, no one is going to marry you. It's going to be impossible for anyone to ever marry you. So what we're going to do is get a guy so drunk on his wedding day, so we can flog you off and so you can be married. Can you imagine what that says to her soul? And what, what is happening on the inside? What goes on next, and this is the part that I want to read to you in Genesis 29, 31 to 35. We see what this does to Leah. And it says this, when the Lord saw that Leah was not loved... She's married, but not love. And I think that's a little clue for some people here. You can be married and not find love. You can be married in a committed relationship and still not be loved. 
Something for you to think about. When the Lord saw that Leah was not loved, He enabled her to conceive. But Rachel remained childless. Leah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Reuben, for she said, It is because the Lord has seen my misery. Surely my husband will love me now. She conceived again, and when she gave birth to her son, she said, Because the Lord heard that I am not loved, He gave me this one too. So she named him Simeon. Again she conceived, and when she gave birth to her son, she said, Now at last my husband will become attached to me, because I've borne him three sons. So he, she, he was named Levi. She conceived again, and when she gave birth to her son, she said, This time I will praise the Lord. So she named him Judah. Then she stopped having children. When people grow up without an understanding that they are loved, that they are accepted, they grow up thinking that they need to do something to earn love. That is what happens. And having been a youth pastor for many years, let me just put forward to you that I've seen many girls, especially living out a lifestyle where they are trying to earn love. And in the process of earning love, they find a guy that gives them attention, not love. But because the attention feels like love, they keep going back to that source of poisonous relationship. When a person grows up without knowing who they are on the inside, they grow up needing to earn that identity. And this is the first thing that I want to put forward to you this morning. Parents, future parents, for yourself even, maybe you recognize that this is an issue in me. That maybe you didn't accept or, or understand or, or get to receive an unconditional love. And if you did not receive that unconditional love, suddenly issues such as self-harm, substance abuse, and suicide seem like options. I know this is pretty deep. I know it's Father's Day. That's why we had a dad joke competition to get all the jokes out of the way, get you laughing, and, and then I could do this. But I think this is really necessary for us to talk about. There are people in our culture, in our world, that don't understand that they can be unconditionally loved. They end up needing to earn love. They don't understand that love can be unconditional. And it's really interesting as we continue to work with different cultures, being at a church in Vic Park, I think that this is a concept that we need to revisit again and again and again. How are you understanding love? Do you understand that there can be and should be unconditional love? Very, at the very start, at least from your parents. Parents understand I'm not trying to condemn you. I'm trying to get you to think about what kind of uh, um, environment you are creating for your children. Is there unconditional love? Is there a love that your child understands that no matter what happens, my parents love me? I know that this is not easy. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm saying that I've seen plenty of people that at the very least didn't understand that their parents unconditionally loved them that there was always a catch, that there was always something going on, and it never ends well, never, never ends well. But I, at the same time, I think that most people understand unconditional love as a, as a necessary thing of families. And so I want to talk about something else 
that possibly stands in tension to unconditional love that families also need to provide. If Leah was unloved, Rachel was the favorite child. Remember, the Bible only mentions Leah's eyes, but they say Rachel had the whole package. And so Rachel probably grew up where everyone's like, oh, you're so cute. And then Leah, ooh. You know what I mean? And like sometimes people don't know how to hide their, their reactions. And it's like, oh, cute kid. And I don't know, where did you get that dog from? It's crazy how sometimes it happens. Uh, I don't know anyone like that. I love all our babies in our church. We don't have any dogs in the church. But what I'm trying to show you is that maybe Rachel grew up having everyone's affections. And you would think that if she had that unconditional love down pat, she would be okay. But in Genesis 30 verse 1, something really interesting happens. When Rachel saw that she was not bearing Jacob any children, she became jealous of her sister. So she said to Jacob, give me children or I'll die. I'll die. It's pretty serious stuff. She's like, if I don't have children, I will die. And if you read the story, it's kind of interesting because Jacob practically just goes like, I've got four sons with that other woman, your sister, the one with the weak eyes. We don't have kids. What's the difference here? Where is the problem? You kind of catching on? Not really. I don't want to say it any more explicitly. But obviously Jacob was like, I can't do anything about this. But this is something that was really interesting because uh, as I was thinking about this and I was studying this, it, it, it didn't make sense to me. It's like Rachel had everything. The reason why Leah wanted children was to earn Jacob's affections. But for Rachel, she already had Jacob's affections. In fact, she probably had everyone's affections. So why was she still saying that if I don't have kids, I will die? And this occurred to me that as much as unconditional love is an environment that we need to raise our children in, we also need to raise, an envir- uh, raise our kids in an environment where they know that they can be productive in a mission and purpose in their life. We need our kids to understand that there is a reason for them to be on earth and a reason for them to continue to exist. And Rachel, something went through her mind, if I don't have kids, I might as well be dead. And maybe you have, under, I, I've, seen, I've seen people, if I don't get married to that person, I might as well not live. If I don't become a doctor, I might as well give it all up. If I don't, I might as well quit. You see, we need to give our children a sense that they can do something significant in their lives. It is not enough just to give them unconditional love. And in fact, I would say that this is 
the bigger issue for most people that I've come in contact with. They've at least understood that they are loved in some way, shape, or form. But many people don't understand that they have been created for a purpose. And, and, and when parents are jumping in for their kids' defense, going into schools and saying, you give my kids the grade that they need to move on in life, we are telling our kids, you are not good enough to make this happen by yourself. You do not have what it takes. We need our children to understand that they are loved no matter what happens, but that they can also, that they also have what it takes. They also have a mission and something significant in their lives. And the thing that occurred to me is that when you're trying to show unconditional love and at the same time you're trying to push someone into their mission and to see that they can do more with themselves, it's kind of on opposite ends of a seesaw. You get what I mean? Like when you're trying to love someone unconditionally, but still kind of tell them, come on, you can do better and do more, it can be interpreted as conditional love. Does that make sense? At the same time, you keep pushing them and you're like, come on, you're, you're, you're a better student in this you're a better i don't know at this yeah you know it's it's kind of like oh, oh no i need to start to show love and and sometimes it's really messy and the truth is i don't have a solution for you i don't know exactly how this is supposed to be but i'm just seeing through the bible that there is this sense that god has created us with a need for unconditional love and and and, and created with a sense that we need to be pushed into the bigger life that he has in store for us and these are sometimes going to be attention it is not a problem to solve parents you will not get this right 100% of the time. This is a tension to manage. It means that you need to be aware of where your kids are at and what they need next. It's not going to be simple. You're going to make mistakes. But if we can come to this point where we can understand, hey, I need to keep balancing this, maybe you can right now even understand that you stand on one side of that balance a lot more than on the other side. Maybe this message is just to help you to see there is another side that you need to balance off. Or maybe for you, this just gives you a framework to understand why your child is acting in a certain way. What are they looking for? Are they looking for a sense of love or are they looking for a sense of productivity, a sense of effectiveness within themselves? If we continue to help people find those two environments to continue to grow in, I believe that we're going to see something significant happen in the lives of our children. I think that this is also something really interesting because over the last months we've been talking about faith and we've been talking about how faith is us saying yes to God. Anyone remember that? A couple of people, that's good. And we've been talking about, yeah, faith is not about believing harder, it's about saying yes to God. And as I was preparing this week's message, I felt like God kind of flipped this around for me. And he said that, understand that I've already said yes to you. As much as God is wanting us to say yes to him, to live by faith and not by sight, God has also said yes to each and every single one of us. What do I mean by that? If we look through the lens of unconditional love and also that sense of mission and purpose, God has already said yes to your worth. 
In fact, it says that God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son so that none will perish but have eternal life. It also says that while we were still sinners, while there was nothing lovely, while there was nothing worth it in us, God saw worth in us so that He would die and give us a life. But then at the same time, God didn't just say that I love you full stop. He says, I love you and you've got a mission in your life. You're meant to be walking something out. He says yes to your worth and he says yes to your mission. Even though you're not the finished product, even though you're going to make mistakes, he still says, I want you to be part of this redemption plan that I put into motion. So what we need to understand is that God has already said yes to us. Faith doesn't start with our yes. Faith started with God's yes to us. And some of you are in this room and you're still wondering whether you need to uh, do something to earn God's love. No, God's love is unconditional. But at the same time, He also knows that what is good for you is not that you just sit in unconditional love and just keep receiving it like you're some kind of flower in the field, but you actually are a human being with arms and legs and a brain and a mouth and a, a life to live. You've got an impact to make upon this world. And so God says yes to your mission. If you're feeling unloved, God says yes to your worth. If you're feeling like you don't have a place to be, God says yes to you still. That is something that we need to understand. And it interests me because it sounds like when you look through the Bible and when it relates to us, God is constantly balancing this sense of His love for us unconditionally, but also pushing us into the bigness of a life that He has got for us. So when you feel God's pushing upon your life, it's not because He doesn't love you, it is because of the unconditional love. When we start to realize that, I think it starts to open something up in our lives. So I'm going to be finishing there this morning. And I feel like this is a morning where maybe some of you might need to start to say yes to God. Say yes to what God has already said yes to in you. Remember, our faith doesn't start with us. It starts with God and what He's already done. And so this morning, if I can get every uh, person to just close your eyes and to bow your head for a moment. I just want to talk to you about saying yes to God. See, the Bible says to us that if we declare with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. You will receive God's yes. And if you want to respond to Him this morning, I'm going to lead you in a prayer. And as you say that prayer, understand that this is just you receiving all that God has already got in store for you. So I'm going to say this prayer. Follow along with me. Dear Father, I know that I have sinned. I know I didn't always get it right. But this morning, I invite you into my life. Be my Lord and my Savior. Amen. Thank you for tuning in today. If you would like to find out more about Lift, check out our website at theliftchurch.com.au.